Welcome to Midlife. I'm Lisa Stedman. In episode six, Aligned at Work founder and coach Lori Battaglia and I dive into midlife divorce, remarriage, career reinventions, and having zero fucks left to give. Yeah, it's pretty juicy. Let's get started. Yes. Uh, we can we can jump in. This is um, so. Just for backstory for everyone who listens to these replays, I'm so thankful that Clubhouse is doing the replay feature. Um, so you know, during the pandemic, as we all, if if we if we were paying attention, we um, confronted some stuff in our lives. And I really got clear that I was dreading my 50th birthday, which happened in October. And I had to really ask myself what that was about because when any of my friends turned 50, I didn't have any dread for them. I didn't have any, I was excited for them. Yep. And, and I really got clear that part of the reason I was dreading 50 was that to me that was middle age and that meant like all the good stuff was gonna be in the past and my expiration date was here. And it was really fascinating all the buried unspoken thoughts, stories, beliefs I had around it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I actually did that digging that I was like, well, what would I like it to be? What would I like midlife to be? What would I like to redefine it as? And that was really a six month process so that by the time my birthday rolled around and we had a big blowout party at the house, I just, I entered 50 so excited. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so, yes, the knees are creaky and yes, my back hurts. And, and, you know, there are, there are realities to being midlife. And I really want, I'm on a mission to change our conversations or, or actually even start having conversations about life in the middle and, and moving be, even beyond the middle, because there's so much to look forward to that does not get celebrated by culture or society or advertisers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when I thought about who I wanted to bring into these conversations, I just reached out to some women I really respect and admire and adore. You were on that list. And um, I just feel like your work and who you are in the world really um, celebrates midlife as well. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm working on that. <laughs> oh, good. We're all works in progress. All yes. Works in progress. Yes. So I wanted to start this conversation by asking you, what was a time? Doesn't have to be the first time, but a time you realized that you were midlife, and how did it make you feel? Well, I think it for for me it was the same. It was fifty, and just to let anybody know that's listening to a replay, I'm sixty five now. So I hit yes. my yay! I hit my Medicare birthday. Woo hoo! Yeah, <laughs> stop paying a thousand dollars a month for healthcare. Oh um, my god, that's freeing. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Uh, for for a woman who's healthy and goes to a naturopath and yeah doesn't have right, any right, uh, right. pharma. Yeah, that. <laughs> so. Um, Midlife for me was the same. It was 50. And, you know, looking back, I've been telling people that I think that at age 40, you kind of have this, all right, is that all there is? Like, am I really happy with things? Um, In my case, I wasn't. And Mm. the divorce happened at 41, but I am an overachiever. So I started that process at 37 instead of 40. (laughs) But it was it was my first. um, Oh, hell no. I'm going to do things my way moment. 
And at 50, I think you, you get into your fifties and it's like, um, no, really, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to do this thing instead. And by the time you're 60, you're like, uh, we can curse on this program, right? I can. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, awesome. You're like, fuck this. I am yeah. not doing this anymore. And you get really resolved when you get into your 60s. So I'm, I'm uh, excited to hit 70 in five years to find out what's going to switch up for me when I get in my 70s. But but it was that 50th birthday. And I remember making a big effing deal out of it that if that was going to be my birthday, that was my midpoint in life, because I do expect to live to be 100, that I wanted to be in Arizona. I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. And Joe and I wanted to move to Arizona, but we'd not made that happen yet. So um, I wanted to be in Arizona. We ended up in uh, Palm Springs to start with and then drove for the first time from California to Arizona for that birthday and then ended up in Sedona on my birthday, um, oh my which was, is my favorite place birthday. in all the world. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was the time. So it was a little bit of excitement, a little bit of, I don't remember dreading it. I think my 30th birthday, the birthday itself was easy and the day after was hard. I think I slept all day um, from like depression and then, you know, didn't realize that there was going to, it was going to get so much better the older I got. Right. And you're right. It's the creakiness and the, the body not doing what it's, what you, it's supposed to, I'm putting air quotes up, supposed to do anymore. And all of that is the downside of it. But boy, the wisdom and the ability to do whatever the fuck you want increases as you get older. I think that's the zero fucks that people talk about because yes. I, I am so the same way. Um, and people I've been talking to in these conversations have been saying like, like I remember one of my other guests said, you know, if I don't want to go to a social thing, I just don't go. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I, like, I love that. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's still a few things I do out of duty and obligation and because I should, or because it's really important to somebody else, but yeah, I'm right there. And I think the pandemic has only made that, you know, I'm pretty extroverted, but I call myself a loner extrovert that it, it, I still go through the same anxiety anybody else does getting ready to go out and interact with people and all that. And the pandemic has made me a bit more of a homebody. So I'm constantly struggling with the, how much do I go out to be satisfied and where have these people been and do I want to be around them? Uh, and, and are there too many uh, of them all at one time Ooh, here for me right now? So all the time these days, are there too many? Yes. Yes. And, you know, and are they standing too close? We're, yeah, too close. Get, get away. Get, yes. Yeah. Um, we are very similar in that way, Lori, because I also am an extrovert, but I need, I'm a loner. I love the, the way yes. you articulated that. And I yep. need a lot of alone time. Yes. Me and too. I find that that is actually increased as I've gotten older. Um, like my refueling time is, I, I need more of it and I need spaciousness to do it. I do too, I do too. I don't, um, I joke with Joe, you know, my beloved Joe. Yes. Um, yes, my partner in life and uh, my trusted business advisor, we'll get to that later, but yeah, he um, never leaves the house other than to do the shopping and things like that. I'm like, dude, yeah, really, I go. <laughs> Take your time. Right? Find so something. this is 
we could have a whole conversation on this because my husband yeah. is the same way. And I'm like, I'm never alone in my house anymore. Right, right. Ever. Exactly. And when I am, I'm like dancing around like a little kid. <laughs> and it's not that I want him to leave. It's that I have freedom for exactly. me in my house. And that's a rare thing. Yeah, it's not even a, it's not even about him per se. No. That, you know, I could we could do this two ways. I can go off on a silent retreat somewhere all by myself, or you can you can leave for a half a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm good either way, but it'd be nice to be in the house for a minute. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. uh, well, I had the good fortune of being your coach back in the day and helping yeah. you launch your Aligned at Work brand and coaching and consulting business. Yes. And looking back, that kind of feels like that career transition was born out of your own midlife career shifts. Yes and no. So here's the okay. component that's not a midlife thing. I dreamed about, so i i grew up in a family where dad worked for the railroad for 40 years and the idea was that you got a good steady job and you stayed there and if you did a good job they would reward you that's bullshit by the way and then um you would you know retire out and be able to live on that and of course you know mom got the railroad retirement after his passing and everything and he retired at age 61 because basically he and many of his age were getting pushed out the door at that point yeah and he also was a farmer nights and weekends. So we lived on a farm in Pennsylvania and he would farm at nights and weekends and get in, go into the city. This was a, an hour plus commute each way. And, and I said, I would never do any of that. And I of course ended up redoing exactly everything he did and exactly everything my mom did that I didn't like too. And here we are. Wow. So, yeah. So back in 1993, I worked, I worked in the savings loan business from, 78 to 98 and i worked for one that went under and was taken over by the government and while i was there i was doing i was a one person training department and we had been two and i had to lay one off and so um i was a one person training department so i did have that alone time and i remember sitting there thinking there has to be a better way uh, that you you got to be able to balance profit and people there has to be a better way to do this and then I was in a 250 person organization, but I'd come out of a less than 100 person one and I went back to that eventually and then into the big ones. And when I was sitting there, I thought they don't have people like me. They don't even have a one person training department. I'll bet there's a way to sell my services to other small places that don't have people like me. So that's 1993. Now, my ex and I were going through marital difficulties um, I was involved in an emotional affair with somebody. I, all kinds of stuff happened in 93 and this big nexus of life started happening. That was when I was 37. So I dreamed up this, I'm going to have a training business someday, but now my marriage is going under, so I can't do it. So now I'm single, so I can't do it. Um, now I've met the love of my life, Joe, and he's got these four kids, all one's in college, three coming in in the next four years. Holy shit. Now I can't do it. Um, cause I had a good lucrative, you know, corporate, you know, cl close to six figure role at that point. And we were, I was at least half the income. And so I, um, I, I kept having these reasons I couldn't do it. And then basically when we moved to Arizona in 2010, I think I met you in probably, 2011. I think um, so. Yep. Yeah. 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 Seems to make sense. So 2010, we move here and 
the deal was that whoever got the job would get work and the other one would kind of get to find themselves. And Joe was turning 60 and I was 54 and we, 53 going on 54. And I got the, I found a job within the company. I was with a large financial company and um, I was able to do that from any of the, the uh, US sites. At that point, there were three of them. Now there's multiples. And so I moved us to um, Arizona. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything for Relo and we moved ourselves out here. And that's how we got to Scottsdale because they were located wow. in Scottsdale. So that became the midlife thing. And then I was in a job that was a bad fit, bad boss role. I, I figured that out really quickly, like, uh-oh. And now I'm the only one working and I'm the one, you know, paying the bills. And he's too young to be retired at that point. But he never did go back to a, a J-O-B, as we say. He never went back to that kind of life. He was a nuclear medicine technologist prior to that. So I decided to go to coach school and make this thing happen, damn it. And uh, I was allowed to take a friend along for free to IPEC. And uh, so he went along and decided to certify as well. When we came out, I asked my friend, Rick Clemens, who does he use for branding? And he recommended you. And that's how you came into our lives. So, oh, um, and then, so when I got into it, I was now working for Wells Fargo for the last four years of my career and had the best boss I've ever had in a good, a pretty good fit job. And she let me morph it and I was well-respected. So I healed a lot of the wounds of that other place, but I decided I'm not gonna fucking work with corporate people there. I mean, I'll work with them individually, but I'm not, I'm not after the corporate work because these yeah. people are crazy. <laughs> and that four years was nice because it healed a lot of that. You and I were working together off and on through that time, or you were working with Joe and I at that point. And as I finally realized that we had made enough money that we weren't going to be eating cat food, as Joe would say, in our retirement, that I needed him to get on board with that and took him a little while and he did. And as I left Wells Fargo, I remember literally walking out the door and going, I can't leave the, I can't leave this leadership and team stuff behind. I, I have to do this work. Yes. So that's how, that was the probably midlife part of it. I was 59 years old and started our own business. And then you were the one that came up with the Aligned at Work name um, because the one I wanted had been branded already and taken. Oh, right. if, I'd got, if I'd gotten off my butt, I could have done whole self at work um, while I was still working, but somebody else got it in that little period of time till I actually got out and launched. And, uh, and I believe it was meant to be because aligned at work. So many people have commented on what that it means different things to different people. And it can mean pretty much whatever you need it to mean. So it's a beautiful thing. I love that. And, and it can. So in this work that you do now, um, and, and I would imagine, so I would imagine some of your clients are midlife and, mm -hmm. and you're working with, um, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you're actually are working with companies, but I'm just, yes. I feel like there are core challenges that people in midlife face at work and the yes. companies don't necessarily step up and, and support or resolve in a healthy way. So like, what are the common challenges you see and what are some of the solutions? I feel like there's a lot, there is a lot of ageism in the um, career world. Um, 
and it's subtle sometimes. People don't even know that they're doing it. And other times they do know that they're doing it. But, you know, as my mother would say to me uh, back when she was alive, your time will come because it ha nobody, well, the option is die or get old. So, right, right. Those are the two choices. Complete. That's it. That's it. And you can, you can keep yourself alive and well and vital as I've tried to do myself and keep yourself up on things and look forward. I'm a futurist. So when I ever, whenever I do my um, assessments and things like that on myself, it's always like future, future looking, which makes it hard to stay in the present. But I'm a, I am a futurist. So I'm always looking at next generation and the generation behind that and, you know, all and the generation behind that now. So I feel like um, when I do this work with companies, I am oftentimes dealing with um, boomer leaders. And I think for the, the white male boomers are just blindsided. They don't have any idea what they don't know yeah. and no idea what, what's ha what just happened. Like, like, what the hell just happened? And I think they should step aside, but I'm concerned that some of the guys that they're grooming behind them have the exact same mentality. It doesn't seem to shift and break until the millennial generation, for sure. Some of the, some of the Gen Xers, but, but not so much in corporate. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had a, so I went back to corporate a couple of years ago and I had an amazing boss. He was a, a middle-aged white man. However, mm -hmm. my asterisks next to that, because you get a picture when you think of that, um, was that he was half French and half Polynesian. Okay. Um, so he was like a very feminine, cre I mean, he was amazing. Yeah. yeah. he got, uh, downsized during COVID, mm. I thought this will be a rude awakening for him because it's probably the only time in his professional career where he will not be in demand. Yes. yes. And I really have felt for him during his job search process um, because he is so talented and and so lovely and, you know, times have changed. Yeah. And it's just really interesting. And I feel like you know, some people are, are choosing early retirement. Some people are being forced into it. And I, yeah. I just really hope that people can, uh, like reinvention. I, I'm really big on reinvention. I think, you know, like, you know, I've written books about breakups. So for me, an end is a beginning. I yes. know everybody looks at it that way. So one of the things that I just want to continue having the conversation around in these midlife conversations is that any end is also a beginning. And sometimes those beginnings are, well, oftentimes those beginnings are painful and difficult and, and traumatic, you know, yes. uh, we, uh, you know, someone, I have a friend who just lost her husband and she said, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ending is I no longer have to be a caretaker. The beginning mm -hmm. is now I'm a widow. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like, oh, these endings and beginnings are not easy. And no. there's opportunity there. And I just don't want us to ever think that things are truly over um, for us and that there are there are new opportunities when we when we can look for them and find them. And, you know, this wasn't one of the questions for you, but I'm just curious from your perspective, when doors close, how can we help ourselves stay open to new opportunities? I, I think the people that have the hardest time with it are those that just sort of go through life being stuck. Okay. And sometimes yeah. there's good reason for that. And sometimes there isn't. Um, but sometimes they really struggle with it. 
And I think when people get stuck, they just don't see the options. And of course, my coach school was the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. So we talk about core energy and worldview and the emotions that go with it and how you've, you know, if you can recognize what triggers you, you can then make choices and have options. And so I use an assessment with clients that identify like how stuck are they? Mm. And it seems to me, Lisa, that the pandemic has rattled people's cages in ways that nothing else would. So they could sit at an employer for 40 years like my dad did or come right out of high school into one and not have a degree, which then they tend to stay because they don't have a degree. And when they do sample the they've gotten to a certain level and they go out there and they try the job market and they go like, eh, you don't have a degree or that happens one time and it pushes every button. So people often back themselves into corners they don't have to remain in. Um, and I don't know anybody that hasn't done that at some point. There's, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, <laughs> I keep thinking of this one B movie that I saw one time that, that where the little robot says there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old bold pilots. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that's how Fair. humans are, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like a lot of people, I don't call, I don't talk a lot about the great resignation. It's certainly there, but I call the whole thing, the great pause. Yeah. That, we've all sat and reevaluated and almost nobody hasn't um, reevaluated on some level. And you've either made a choice to do nothing or you've made a choice to change nothing, or you've made a choice to change everything, or there you're somewhere in the middle where you're sort of on a plan to change it eventually. Yes, exactly. And honestly, I think that has been the gift of this pandemic. I know everyone's pandemic experience has been different, you know, whether yes. you lost your job or had to go to work out in an unsafe world or been able to work from home like I have been able to do and felt so lucky and blessed for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know everyone's everyone's pandemic experience with work has been different and I really am celebrating that this is a global reckoning in terms of who do I want to be where do I want to be what do how do I want to spend my time what do I really value I am so thankful my my father's 81 and is 90 miles from me and because yeah. I don't go into an office that was the one adjustment to going back to corporate was going into an office every day yeah. um <laughs> And during the pandemic, I, I didn't see my dad for a year because I didn't want to bring any Los Angeles COVID to him. Um, but since we're all vaccinated and he's got his booster and everything, I now go monthly and spend a few days with him. I like and that. And I work from his back room. And and so it's, you know, this sandwich generation that we are in, in midlife, I'm thankful that I've had that opportunity to go be with him more now that it's safer. Um, yeah. Because yep. those things, I realized how how much I how much I valued that, and maybe wasn't making time for it because of all the other obligations of like you know raising a kid on the weekends, and you know so like my life was very full, and now I'm like, well, things have shifted, so let me look at what I want to bring into this new space. Yeah, I think that is the blessing of the pandemic. Yes, everybody's gone through some trials and tribulations with it, and people have lost people and. I'm not downplaying that, but boy, for most of us, it's been that great re reckoning time where you decided a little more consciously how you wanted to show up. And people realized, I believe, right up front in the very beginning, um, oh my God, I don't have this 
two hours on the road anymore or more yeah. than that if you live in LA um, or other places or if you live rural. Um, I don't have to do that anymore. That used to add, oh, I'd say for 20 years of my now 40 year career, um, I drove or went on the train or did something for a minimum of an hour each way. And wow. one time I added it up and about 10 years in, I added up the hours and I, I came away from it and I said, I must never do that again. I must remain unconscious. This is now our time. I'm never getting back. Yeah. Um, so and it takes a yeah. toll. It takes a physical oh. and emotional toll. It so does. it's no wonder, you know, I have, we have friends and he's a CEO of a, an ad agency and he's like, it's really hard to get people back to work. And he's like, and I really understand why, yeah. you know, it takes a toll. It does. Um, so it's just interesting to talk to different people about their perspective on this. Um, so you mentioned Joe a few times. Let's yeah. talk about marriage in midlife and what maybe has shifted for you guys with the dynamics. Um, yeah. What are you discovering about each other that you might not have before? Well, let's see. Golly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So like I said, when we moved here, he was 60. He'll be 72 in January. Um, you wouldn't know that if you looked at him. Oh my gosh, happy yep. almost birthday. Yeah, he's doing well. And I he's probably right now, possibly out for a walk because this is that time of the morning where he'll, he'll go out and walk a couple of miles to keep nice. himself move, moving and everything. Um, Joe is autoimmune compromised. So we were you know dying for that vaccine and First, he was first in line and I was right behind him. I lied my way in because I was only 64. I was two months away and I was like, I'm 65. So, <laughs> you know, I claimed my age um, early in that case, but we, we've got, you know, we're triple vaxxed and all that. So I would say that it's evolved a little bit more from when I was, so we started out as a two working, you know, both of us working because we got together when I was 45 and he was 51. So we've been we're going we've been together twenty years now. We will celebrate twenty years of marriage next year. Yay! Wow. Um, both That's had long first cool. marriages. You know, I was married twenty two years. He was married twenty five. Um, so we know how to do it for long periods of time. Um, and Joe is the caretaker of our relationship. He came out of IPEC as a relationship coach, and really did not want to sell his services. So I would land the clients in career and uh, and life transition. And he would then bring the relationship piece to it. And we did it together. So we started out this business together. As I went into um, the corporate work, those are not his people, not even a little. Totally, so totally he, get it. Yeah, he just, he's like, I would not last there a day. And I was like, well, I wouldn't last in healthcare a day. So we're we're good there. Yeah, exactly. And it shifted the dynamic when we moved out here and I was the breadwinner um, because Joe began to do, and I was the breadwinner and then running our company on nights and weekends. And so he began to go into his normal caregiver mode. So he, he is a caregiver archetype. There's just no other way to say it. He just takes care of people, cats and the whole nine yards. And, and sometimes to the extent that I don't want to be cared for quite that much. Sure. Um, I get really dependent on that. And I, I find myself doing things that I didn't like when I was more in that uh, traditional wife role while always working full time, by the way, but um, traditional wife and I was a mother and but traditional wife in that I had to come home and make the food and all that, even though 
I'm the I've always been the less good cook than either of my husbands, but <laughs> you know, keeping the keeping the home fires burning. So Joe kept everything running to the extent that I didn't even know where things were packed, unpacked in the house and stuff like that. He it felt more like his house than mine. Um oh, wow. Yeah. That's an interesting way to to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bought our fr the first house I moved into is my my ex and I were 19 when we got married. We were 17 when we had our son and we bought our first house at almost 20 years old. So we moved into that together and had nothing and built it together. And then then I bought a townhouse. That was mine. And then Joe moved in there with me, but we moved his stuff in with mine. Now we move out here and it felt like his house because he'd unpacked it and made decisions to where to put things and stuff like that. So it was kind of fascinating to watch me go through. And then I got resentful when I was in that role with a bad boss that I had to be the one working and, sure, you know, that's and Joe just keeps, Joe's like steady as she goes. So any of my things, um, you know, he just sort of stands by the side and observes and gives me feedback when he thinks I'm going off the rails. But other than that, keeps his mouth shut for the most part and lets me work through things. And he's done a lot to work on himself. Um, we realized that a couple of times in our relationship, we realized that early on in it, that it would be a really good idea if we went to a therapist together and figured out how to be with each other in a way that didn't mean that one of us had to control the other. And because we both had controlling spouses and um, we did not want to, and we were used to sitting down and shutting up and bottling our stuffing, what we thought and everything. And we didn't want to do that. So we went through five years off and on of therapy as a couple before we moved out here. And then um, I went alone as I was going through some midlife things and everything and he went alone. So we've done alone and together work. work. I love yeah. yeah, deep stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's shifted and changed things. And then, you know, can we just talk about menopause because- Yes, please. <laughs> Lord help us and save us. So I've gotten, um, you know, I've got a, an activist gene that I can, I can get out of victim and into anger in a heartbeat. I go to anger quickly and he goes to victim quickly. So <laughs> I'm like, no, fuck that. Let's, let's change things, you know? <laughs> oh so, my God, Lori, we are more alike than oh, I knew. I, it, man. anger comes quick for me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the good thing is it gets you out of victimhood, but, totally. but if you just, the jerk it's never a good thing so yeah, it's learning how to use it as a tool for sure yes. Um, yes i know that it's and i actually learned um and i think i really discovered this in the pandemic i was like oh anger is more comfortable for me than sadness so i'll go to anger yes uh, cover sad yes uh and that was a really interesting awareness for me and and also for my relationship um but yes menopause <laughs> who yeah. Who did you talk like no one I feel like no one prepares us I feel nobody like nobody does and it's so different for every woman too but there yes. is there are commonalities and yeah. you know I feel like no one really prepares you for your first period and no one really prepares you for the end of your period that's right uh, 
so, you know, things start to shift, but you're kind of like just moving along going, okay, things have changed. This is different. Um, you yeah. Know? yeah. And, and, and then you start to ask your friends and you start to like, if you've got parents that you can like, you know, track their, you know, like their experience. Yeah. My mother was like, oh, menopause, I didn't really experience much. And she was not connected to her body. My father was like, that was not my experience of your mother in menopause. <laughs> So yes. who have you talked to about it? Oh, mostly my my goal is to bring periods and menopause out of the closet and, you know, stop making uh, that eventually men don't feel like that's something icky because yes. we start with the shame early and hide it and all that kind of stuff. My mom told me that, you know, her older sisters kind of helped her out when the time came because her mother certainly never talked about what to do when you got your period. And, you know, she thought she was really enlightened and talked to me about a whole lot of things. And I got most of my information either on the street or my brothers had my brother's room. I would sneak in there when they weren't home because they had books and they would have all the like novels and stuff ahead of time that you had to read in school. So I was always going in and stealing books, but there was one about what happened with your body. Oh. And I would go in there and sit and read about what would happen with your body. And that's where I got my information from. So in, in my opinion. And that's then, great that you had access to books. <laughs> a, a book. A book. A book. Okay, fair. A yeah. book. And then, and then I remember in, my mother was a Girl Scout leader and they actually showed a film on um, menstruation. And I remember calling my squad or whatever they called them at the time and saying um will your parent we're having a movie on menstruation do you have your parents permission to see this and and all this kind of stuff and it was big deal to say menstruation instead of your period or oh. one of the more cruder things being on the rag and, yes yeah all that nonsense um so and i remember that if boys could tell that you had a pad on or something, you know, you get pointed at and mocked and laughed at and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty horrendous. Um, Joe has never been that way because he says as a nuclear medicine technologist, he's seen every single bodily fluid and, um, you know, thing that, that icky things that you could possibly see. Plus he's the father of four and he stayed home with them for a couple of years. So He's seen a lot in his time about what yeah. the body does and doesn't do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love what you say about just normalizing it. One of my things is, you know, at work we have a lactation room, but there's no yeah. like little cooling corner for menopausal women. <laughs> I true. have not had a hot flash yet, but if I happen to be at work and have one, I want a cool corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing I found at work, so my very first perimenopausal thing probably happened around 43 and I was in a new job at that first big financial company. And I was getting mocked by people on my team because I would forget stuff. Or, and it seemed to me, and I believe this was part me, part me, part them. I felt like they would start in the middle of conversations with no context. And then they would look at me when I didn't know what they were talking about. And I started seeing these like brain disconnects. And I used to be able to keep loads and loads and loads of you know multitasking and and lots of facts and what are we again always looking ahead to when i go on vacation in four weeks who's going to cover this who's going to cover that like i could keep all that in one place and suddenly i couldn't and i remember saying to joe i think something's wrong with me and he said what's wrong and i said i can't remember anything and he said 
well, what makes you think that it's, you know, something really bad? And I go, well, I, I don't know if I need an MRI or a CAT scan or like it's some startling, something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And I, re and re I remember people talking behind older women's backs about how they couldn't remember anything and you tell her things and she'd be in the conversation. Well, that's me. You know? Yeah. Same. That's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So I just learned to write, like, if you could see my desk right now, you'd see notes everywhere and I can't find shit because I'm a note taker and I write everything down, but then I don't know where I put it. And so there's all of that. I've, I've had to come up with a bunch of ways that I can just, you know, where would I have put that? Okay, go there. Right. And I'm getting a lot, I've gotten a lot better at that over time, but I really thought something was seriously wrong. And then I didn't have a lot of, well, I went off the pill because I got my tubes tied finally, because I tried to get my tubes tied after having a child at 17. I was pretty damn sure I didn't want to have any more. And I knew I didn't want to have any more with his father. And there was only one brief moment where I thought, well, do I want any? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I would ask to be sterilized in my 20s. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. You're too young to make that decision. Things change over time. And it was always refused. So I was on the pill for 20 some years. And I finally went off that. So there were some changes bodily with just actually experiencing a real period rather than a manufactured one. Absolutely. So that's was that, huge. I, yeah, more, I realized that, you know, th then they got heavier and then I got more back aches and I realized that every time my back would go out, I was on my period. Yeah. And there was a lot with that. And then I really didn't get rid of it until I was almost 60. I think I was 58, 59 years old when I stopped having periods that, you know, there was only a little while there where it was uh, that it skipped for a month or two and then, you know, skip for a month or two and then finally nothing. Um, so I went all the way to almost 60, which was great for my face and not so great for, you know, I was, I couldn't wait to get yeah. rid of those damn things. I couldn't oh, wait. Same. I, I'm yeah. like, I've never wanted to be pregnant. I've never needed yeah. a period and yep. I haven't done birth control since I was 35. So yep. you know, um, cause I was terrified of like stroke or heart attack. Um, yeah. Know, commercials. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm like, this will be the, a very not sad goodbye. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're mm -hmm. on our way. We're just, we're just taking our time as we, as we go on our merry way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, been, it's been tough, but for me, it's been the bodily changes. I didn't get too many hot flashes. I got some, but boy, the, the interrupted sleep. I also realized now in my older age, well, my husband realized that I have sleep apnea. So, um, and I am a candidate or we think I am for Inspire. So I may go off the CPAP that I've been on for a few years and get an implant that actually takes over the breathing for you at night, oh, sort of, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I haven't even heard of that. I got to look that up. Yeah. It's a funny commercial on TV about Inspire and the CPAP machine, but um yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of getting evaluated for that. But the sleep interruptions, I used to be able to sleep anytime, anywhere, take long naps. I've always been a night owl um, and not a morning person. I don't actually need the naps now that I'm on the CPAP. Um, but boy, it interrupts your sleep. And I also find a low level of anxiety, which could be phone related and um, social media related and playing too many panda babies games. 
Yeah, all that. It could be that. But I find that if I take valerian root before I go to bed um, in a capsule, it's real smelly stuff. It calms the mind and it allows me to sleep through the night. Ah. And it's not narcotic. It's a supplement. I'm big into my naturopath. And so for menopause, supplements, suppositories for, you know, for moisture, things like that. It was really hard for me to watch my body go into shutdown and pain during sex and all those kinds of things that I had my, I've had several times in my life where (laughs) the very first and only time that I slipped in the bathtub and went down, I was like, this is how old people break their hip, you know? So, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) So I've had some of those, this is how old people. And I realized along the way, like, this is why the rumor was that, you know, after you're a certain age, you don't have sex anymore. This is why, because there weren't ways to get around it. There weren't supplements. Yes. There weren't things. Yeah. Yeah. One of our other guests on these on this series was saying, and I love this, she said her gynecologist said to her after, she said, after 50 for women, sex is a choice. You can choose it. You can not yeah. choose it. Either way is fine. But if you're going to choose it, it will be a choice and something you work at. And yes. I thought it was really interesting because I was like, I don't relate to that. I don't get that. And now I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> got it. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So, and and we're actually talking about like doing a little, you know, welcome to midlife toolkit with some, and one of the big things in there will be some form of, um, I don't know if it'll be like a lube or like a supplement, it might be both because people have different preferences, but I think this is such an important, and not, but I think this is such an important part of the midlife experience and I want everyone to choose what's right for them. Yes. Yes. I, we've got a, a, you and I have a mutual friend that makes a good lube. And, yes, um, she does. Yes, yes. Boudoir butter, sex butter. Um, we, I've tried those. Um, I, I've used a suppository, but that just keeps things good down there. It doesn't, it's not a lube. Yeah. Um, I've tried different ones. I've tried, uh, I just found a group on Facebook. Um, and I know some of the women that we know have a group on Facebook that I haven't been into lately because I tend to get overgrouped and then, you know, pull out and then go back in. <laughs> and I just found one called Kindra that actually has a whole product line and they have a group and women are in there talking about the things they can't find anybody else to talk with about. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. There are some things out there on Facebook where women can just be like, okay, is anybody else at this? And there's things in there that women are talking about that I haven't personally experienced. So for me, it's a learning curve too about what it does. I'll tell you what I experienced was, oh my Lord, I can't. So I used to eat like a trucker. Uh, Fast food was my name for breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes as a working woman. And especially when I was single and and going to school at night and all that like yeah run through the drive-through get the burger and the fries how many meals did i have fries with this week almost everyone okay uh you know like it, i was not eating healthy but i could i i did not put the weight on i was a skinny kid that couldn't gain weight for a while and then as i got older i started really shifting and changing so i'm five two and when at the beginning of the pandemic i was pushing up toward 150 and hit it when i was um found a couple of gluten-free coffee cake options that were to die for. 
And I can't just have one piece because I go back after Joe goes to bed and I eat multiple pieces. And, um, yeah, and he knows I this. Stuff like that in the house because I know that about myself. My husband asked exactly. me the other day about something. Can you eat blah, blah, blah? And I was like, baby, if we have that in the house, it'll be gone in one day. I was like, yes. I'm sorry for you, but I got to like be real about what I do. That's the that's exact way I am. It's like, let's don't have it in the house. Yeah. And Joe and I eat super clean, but over time, his portion size treks upward. And so I went on Noom. Um, I had one of those moments where I thought, you know what? Um, when I was divorced, I also gave myself the talk. Now there's nobody that you're cooking for other than you. So you have a choice about how you eat. You're not being influenced by anybody. And I had that same talk with myself, like, Honey Bunch, as, as we call each other, Honey Bunch doesn't um, push you toward bad food. That's you, Laurie. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Owning so that. And, together. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, oh, gosh, I'm loving this conversation. What would you say um, has been the biggest blessing for you about this age and stage of life, midlife? I would say that I finally feel like I can re-uncover the um, because she's been there before. I was mouthy in my 20s and 30s. And then in my corporate roles, I got shut down so much and punished indirectly and directly that I had to make a choice to shut my voice down. And I wanted to cut that voice to come back out. And I don't think until this past year, I've really started saying what I think to clients, you know, because you, wow. you go into corporate mode and um, I started working actually with a cannabis company and was referred in by an executive coach. And I called him when it was time to give the rundown. I was like, can I be straight up with them? And he's like, they wouldn't respect you if you didn't. And I'm like, awesome. This is my right client. So, yeah. <laughs> so totally. yeah. I love that. I think I, voice, I think yeah. in corporate and in midlife, our voices can get shut down. And so giving yourself permission mm. to own the voice. It's one of the reasons I wanted to be having these conversations is I realized on some level, I told myself to shut up and I'm not sure what that was about. I think part of it was grief about my mom and I had a falling out with a creative business partner. So I understand. Yeah. Um, but I realized that I'd gotten really silent and yes. that no longer worked for me. Exactly. That's, that's a big thing. And then I am mentoring in this program for that's called the forum with an e f-o-r-e-m and it's a career advice uh it's a um career advancement program and they need mentors and i'm one of the mentors and i'm always dumbfounded that these 20 somethings and 30 somethings will pick the white-haired lady to come to but i you know i got my edgy leather platinum jacket on and you know so i, I guess i look like i might know what i'm talking about and they usually <laughs> They check me out and they look at my bio and they go, I need to talk to you. And I have reformed my opinion of how I present by how they see me. And oh, I love they, that. See me, they see me as a real kick-ass, like this woman knows what she's talking about. Whereas when you come out of 37 years of corporate, you oftentimes merge with, emerge without your ego where it was. Like I would, I oh, would say- yeah. I used to be somebody like, what the hell happened? And I found, especially in that one big company where I stayed for 13 years, go to my LinkedIn profile if you want to know who it was, um, they would they would shut you down so much. You just thought of yourself as, well, I'm just this middle management drone that, yeah, yeah, I mean, 
my goal is to make everybody's life the best it can be and help them develop as I develop myself and all that and and put the hand out to people to to always say here I got your back um, to to add something positive to somebody's day that's that's my purpose um, and so I can do that no matter what wherever I am but to actually have a voice in the world after 37 years of getting shut down Ooh. how do you uncover that and it takes time it, it is a not a you, you might want to and then you realize you just went back into corporate speak again oh shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that's so real i've heard this a lot and it, it's it's oh gosh yeah corporate is such a mixed bag um yeah yeah so yeah. what would you say is your midlife secret weapon i use my hair my authenticity my persona for everything it is i i've had way too many people tell me that they contact me sometimes just because they feel better after they've talked to me and i don't remember us doing anything overt in that conversation other than you know to, to walk away with a you got this no no you really do you really do got this and you make the it's okay if you make the choice not to got it right now and I, so I'm going to figure out a way to bottle that you make people feel better because I found out that that's what got me the last role I had at Wells Fargo. Um, it was the down. It was the worst time of the economy when I made that move and I had my white hair already uncovered and I, that they quickly got down to the last two after going through a few hundred people. Why me? And I was coming out of a really bad situation and I waited until I fully trusted my boss. This was two or three years and I said, can you? tell me how I got this. What, what, what was it? And she said, well, <laughs> you and the other person were both really good, but to a person, everybody that spoke to you said, I just felt really good after I talked to her. <laughs> I was like, huh, that, that coaching stuff works. And, um, because I can be sassy and in your face and tell you, it, you know, I don't suffer fools gladly. I think so. One of your other guests said that too. I don't either. And um, sometimes it's just the look that I give you or whatever, because I, I can make real direct eye contact. Um, and people will shrink, men will shrink um, in size. They're just like, oh shit, you know, I'm not <laughs> gonna pull it past that one. So I think all that coming together and really owning that as my secret weapon um, has been really powerful for me. I feel like I'm finally the CEO of my company. I mean, I just love Lori and her tell it like it is wisdom bombs. What's your biggest takeaway from our conversation? I'd love to hear from you. Tweet me at Lisa Stedman and stay tuned. On the next episode of Welcome to Midlife, my guest is best-selling author, speaker, and coach Andrea Owen. We'll dig into going gray, to Botox or not, and the value of trusting yourself and telling the truth. <laughs>